0: The United States has lifted all of the restrictions on the ways in which it interacts with Taiwan.
1: And what does that even mean? Well, today we have an insider with us, the former U.S. representative to Taiwan, to tell us all about it. I'm Natalie So.
0: And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's start with a look at the stories on our radar.
2: The U.S. State Department has canceled a planned visit to Taiwan by the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Kelly Craft. In fact, all State Department officials are cancelling travel plans and staying put ahead of the inauguration of Joe Biden. Taiwan's foreign ministry and presidential office have expressed their regret by saying they understand the decision. Taiwan has reported two domestic cases of COVID-19 at a hospital in northern Taiwan, including the first case of a local doctor contracting the virus. Both patients work at the same hospital. Officials believe one of them was infected due to mistakes in the care process, and that he infected the other patient, who is his girlfriend. Officials have traced the pair's movements over the days leading up to their diagnosis. Want to make a restaurant reservation over the Lunar New Year? Well, you're too late. People are planning to go out in droves over next month's holiday, despite concerns about COVID-19. In fact, the pandemic may be partly responsible. With international travel out of the question, many people are looking for ways to celebrate in Taiwan. As the mercury plunges across Taiwan, many students can only shiver. Although education ministry guidelines allow students to wear warm clothing over their uniforms, a recent survey shows that only half of schools allow it. The group behind the survey wants random inspections to make sure schools are letting kids wear coats.
1: This past weekend, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo lifted the restrictions on how the u.s interacts with taiwan
0: now those restrictions had been in place since 1979 when the united states broke official diplomatic ties with taiwan and set them up with china now this is a bold move that's That's coming with less than two weeks remaining before the end of the trump administration For years, the United States has restricted how its officials interact with Taiwan. That's to appease China, which considers Taiwan part of its territory and not a separate country. Those self-imposed restrictions came to an end last Saturday, following a statement by U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. The statement talks about complex internal restrictions, regulating exchanges with Taiwan. It says the U.S. government took those actions unilaterally in an attempt to appease the communist regime in Beijing. But no more. In 2015, Tsai Ing-wen was able to enter the U.S. State Department. That was when she was still a candidate for president. But for years, Taiwan's high-ranking officials have been banned from visiting the White House. Taiwan's representative to the U.S. has not been allowed at the State Department, and Taiwan's national flag could not be flown at sensitive locations. But now all those restrictions have been lifted. Here's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu's response to the announcement on Monday. We've been working on this for some time now, he says. The reason why the U.S. and Taiwan have been able to elevate their mutual trust, the foreign minister says, is because Taiwan has been undertaking a pragmatic and responsible foreign policy. But all of this is taking place less than two weeks before a new president, Joe Biden, takes office. That means it will be his administration that will have to deal with the latest hurdle in U.S.-China ties. So very,
3: very much.
1: To learn more about this groundbreaking move, we turn to a former U.S. representative to Taiwan for an inside look.
0: That's right. Natalie spoke with the former director of the American Institute in Taiwan, or AIT, William Stanton.
1: Tell us, what do you think of this decision? How how big a deal
4: is this? Well, I think it's a, a very big deal. Um, Any time a Secretary of State makes a policy announcement, particularly on a subject that is not often directly uh, addressed by a Secretary of State, I think it's a very big deal. Uh, the fact that Secretary Pompeo particularly only nine or ten days before the end of the Trump administration would make this announcement, I think gives it added importance, because I think it demonstrates that he really wanted to uh, to do this before the end of the administration. I was quite surprised, and I thought it was very significant. Mm. But the big question now is, because it's the end of the Trump administration, what will happen next?
1: Well, can you tell me um, what you... Th- think this really entails so what are the implications practically
4: yeah it, well that's one of the things we have to recognize is that a lot of the self-imposed restrictions um, have slowly disappeared over the years uh, my understanding is that they first at least according to one uh, scholar I've spoken to they go back to about 1978 um, When somebody began to work on what it would mean, uh, and the State Department began to work on what it would mean if we broke relations um, with Taiwan, established them with China. In fact, um, I found just last night, looking because I knew I'd be talking to you, a piece of paper, unclassified, um, with no date on it but I'm pretty sure I was given before I came to Taiwan in 1986 for 10 months of language training. And it was basically, the, the title of it was Do's and Don'ts in Taiwan, or in, with regard to Taiwan. Ah, and You have that paper with you? Yeah, I do. Can I see it? Yeah,
1: sure. <laughs> um, so what are some of the things here? Do use Taiwan, don't use Republic of China. Interesting. Do you use economy, island, area, or jurisdiction. Don't use country.
4: Yeah, what they didn't take into account, if you ever try to talk about something, and, and you're talking about a country, and you don't use the word country, how awkward in English it sounds, and how silly at times. I once went to a meeting uh, with a high-level economic representative from the United States, and he was meeting with President Ma ying and repeatedly he referred to Taiwan as as an important economic entity.
1: Oh my god. That, so that sounds strange. It's, it's so strange.
4: strange. It's so strange. It's so bizarre in English. So many of the recommendations were like that and practically speaking were difficult to use.
1: Do you use Taiwan authorities, don't use Taiwan government? Yeah. Wow. Do you use Taiwan representatives? Don't use government officials? Right. Do you use Taiwan as an adjective? Don't use Taiwanese, except referring to descendants of pre-1949 inhabitants.
4: In fact, I was reprimanded once when, um, early on, I'm uh, in the State Department, I was writing something and I put, um, Taiwanese believe, I don't know what the thing was, but somebody at a higher level called me up and basically reprimanded me because he said that's an incorrect use of Taiwanese, that you can only use Taiwanese if you're referring to the, I guess, the pre-1949... Mm. The people who lived here I,
1: before the Chiang Kai-shek and yeah. uh, his his whole group. Well, I guess
4: they could have added, I don't know. but I guess they excluded even the Uen min, I would right, believe, right, even longer. indigenous. Mm-hmm. So things like that... Um, Also in English, so you were always writing the people of Taiwan or the Taiwan people, which is odd in English because you never put a noun before a noun.
1: Right. You should say the Taiwanese. Now they say Taiwanese.
4: Well, well, by the time I was AIT director, I always said the Taiwanese.
1: So this didn't, um, they changed by the time you were AIT
4: director? Well, it didn't change. I mean, it never, as far as I knew, went out of existence. But over time, people just weren't. Keeping up with those those rules. I so, mean,
1: were you able to call Taiwan a country when you were AIT director? I I always referred to Taiwan as a country. You did. Yeah. So, so things even And nobody often ever changed. noticed.
4: I don't think. <laughs> I mean, I you know, yeah, I would say Taiwan you know is an important country, and um, I would also refer to the Taiwanese government hmm. and. Maybe I was too insignificant because I never remember even the Chinese government complaining about my usage, um, much less people in Washington.
1: When he was AIT director, Stanton flouted one of the restrictions. He tells us how he was the first to fly the American flag at AIT since 1979.
4: One of the changes I made myself, but I did it with sort of a wink and a nod from Washington, was I... I was for the first time, they were always concerned about symbols, and I raised the American flag over AIT. And I did that because I thought, if we're the American Institute of Insurance, as Americans, (laughs) we could put up a flag. Americans everywhere have the right to put up a flag. Why should we be deprived of that right? So, But what I did was I talked to somebody who was a retired, very high-level official, and I said... If I go through channels, I'm not sure this will work. I want you to talk to somebody at a very high level at the White House or in the State Department.
1: So they were okay with that?
4: And that person supported it. Oh, that's He wanted the flag to go up. So he called me up one day and he just said, go ahead. And we we had a ceremony the next day and we rose the flag. And I, I remember the day, although I can't find a picture at the moment, there was a one of our uh, Taiwanese uh, guards who had been around when we had lowered the flag over our embassy when we had broken relations back in 1979, he was there. And he actually cried. Oh. It, was, it was so moving for him. And um, it was moving for all of us. We were very excited and uh, happy about that. So I, and what I, the thing was, I also knew... Once you put up the flag, nobody can ask you to take it down again. Mm. I mean, that's very un-American. Take down the American flag? No, it's not going to happen. So I knew that was a fait accompli.
0: That must have been an amazing moment to be there when they were raising that's the flag for right. the first time in like 40 years. That must have been very emotional, you Yeah. <sighs> You know, when I heard that they were lifting the restrictions on the way the United States interacts with Taiwan, I was thinking two things. One is, like for a lot of diplomats, this must be a relief. You don't have to That's watch true. your words, right? All those
1: do's and don'ts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the second thing is, I was wondering, you know, is this maybe a provocative move, like one last jab at China before Trump leaves office?
1: I was thinking the same thing, or maybe one jab at the Biden administration, you know, yeah, giving also. them, you know, a big challenge. But actually, after talking to Stanton, um, he explained how Pompeo has been and very pro-Taiwan all this time mm-hmm. and really wants to give Taiwan the dignity that it deserves. So um, it, it's great to see that. And it was great to be able to talk to a former AIT director about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have the full interview for you on Facebook and YouTube. Check it out. This
3: is what my Taiwanese passport looks like. Get a good look at it, because that's the last time you might see that design. On January 11th, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs started handing out new passports with new designs. It looks like this. Why did the government decide to design a new passport? The story goes back to July 22nd of last year. On that day, Taiwan's legislature passed a resolution to emphasize Taiwan on passports and the national airline. As I've mentioned before, Taiwan is officially referred to as the Republic of China. If you don't remember why, then I highly suggest you go back to the June 18th episode of Taiwan, where I go over the history behind that designation. In fact, that episode also talked about changes to passports and airplanes. Between then and now, the government finalized and rolled out a new passport design, Let's review. This is the old design, and this is the new design. The first thing you might notice is that the Republic of China is gone. However, it's still there in Chinese, and the English version is now around the sun insignia on the center of the cover. If you squint, you can still see it. The word Taiwan, on the other hand, has been enlarged. On January 11th, President Tsai Ing-wen published a post on social media commemorating the new passports rollout. She said that it was important to emphasize Taiwan so that the international community doesn't neglect the country's existence. If a bigger Taiwan weren't already reason enough to get a new passport, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced on social media that those that applied for the new passport on the first day would get one of two special gifts. One is a traditional spring couplet, which, when viewed upside down, reveals the message, pursue freedom and democracy. The other is a lucky luggage tag. What makes it lucky? I don't know, maybe the picture of a giant pigeon straight up sitting on an airplane? Anyway, Minister of Foreign Affairs Joseph Wu was at the consular office to make sure the rollout went smoothly. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs later posted this image about how useful Taiwan's passport is, enabling citizens to visit a lot of countries visa-free. The caption said, The Taiwan passport ranked 32nd in this year's Henley Passport Index, which puts it well ahead of a certain neighbor in 70th place. You know, maybe a couple of years ago, talk like that would have excited me, but these days, it's not really a story about the Ministry of Foreign Affairs if they're not throwing a little shade. Anyway, as much as I like this new passport design, I'm not going to be fighting anyone to get it. I mean, it's not like I can go anywhere right now anyway. Unlike Pigeon Boy over here,
0: he about to go everywhere. The name of today's brain game is Taiwan or Na. <laughs> Ooh, I love I'm, this game. I okay, thought you'd like that. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be showing you eight pictures of snowy scenes around the world and the two of you have to work together to guess where the picture was taken, whether it was in Taiwan or Na. Nah. <laughs> If you can guess the location of the picture, I'll give you an extra point.
1: Oh, do we okay. get to eat something after
0: that? No. There's no eating in the show. <laughs> I changed <laughs> my mind. I don't like this game anymore. I buy you, some snow. Do you <laughs> like to eat it? No, I Ice don't. Th- cream? I think no nah is the answer. <laughs> All right, go
3: there's some oh, ice it's a tram it's
1: a, it's a tramway it's a ski lift but that's not taiwan nah. and everything's
3: frozen over we don't yeah, have I don't a ski think
1: lift here ski lifts in
0: taiwan that's a nah it's beautiful you are correct that is a nah that is a ski lift in sweden it's beautiful oh. all right let's have a look at our second picture
1: oh, oh those gorgeous. are gorgeous
3: there's a,
0: a mountain in, in the, the back. distance all
1: snowy and then Snow in the front there's like
3: it's in the front. Um, it's uh, flowers with flowers. green. no so,
0: question That's is, not we, Taiwan. Taiwan or not? I no. say that is Taiwan. You are correct. Where? That is Hualien. You can see in the foreground, It's it looks like it's summertime. Yeah.
1: Right, because right, it's in snow on the ground here. Exactly. All in the mountains.
0: Yeah. All right, let's check out our next photo.
3: Oh, that's... Uh, that's wow, it's a lady taking a... Uh, taking wedding photos
1: on a railing on a railing
0: on during the snow that is
1: taiwan i think it is that taiwan. me is a very
0: Taiwanese thing to do you yeah i say that's taiwan wedding photos okay you are correct that is taiwan. taiwan that is uh <laughs> Yilan. Taiwan.
1: Taiwan. taiwan. oh, oh tai wow. yes right. i've been there it's very cold up there beautiful it's beautiful An
0: altitude of uh, 1900 meters let's check out the next one oh cabins Ooh. uh oh that could
1: be taiwan that is cabins taiwan. In, in the snow <laughs> <Taiwan>. is that-,
0: <laughs> that is indeed taiwan that is uh that is Fuso san in Taichung. Oh, okay. Have a look at sure. the next one.
1: Ooh, that. that's beautiful. A red um, two story like building with uh, roofs that are all snowed on. Beautiful. That's,
0: and the answer? That's not, not Taiwan, that's Japan. That is correct. That is Japan. That is snow over Zojoji Temple in Tokyo. Let's have a look at the next one. It's like a spring it's in the middle of a pond or a lake. Oh,
1: pond? oh, no, Jiaminghu. In the
0: middle of the... That Jiaminghu is
1: correct. Is lake. It's a beautiful lake on top of a mountain. I've that is known.
0: correct. So Jiaminghu is uh, located in Taitung. It is the second highest lake in Taiwan. Oh, wow. All right, one more photo.
1: Planes landing in the snow. Oh, I don't is think it, that's tough. no. Is that
3: something you can
0: see in Taiwan? No, no. not not near, not snowing in the airport. that looks like like Laguardia, <laughs> that's Milwaukee. Milwaukee, De-icing <laughs> <They're laughs> <laughs> a plane. Milwaukee. That is something you don't see in Taiwan. All right, final shot.
3: Bicycle
1: uh, in Taiwan. It's
3: a it's a shirtless dude with a BMX bike in the middle of the
0: snow. Yeah,
1: sounds like something Taiwan. Would <laughs> he's all over. He's all, all over see the this news. In Taiwan. <laughs> That's Taiwan.
3: All
0: right. So the answer, you got it. That is definitely Taiwan. That is also Taiping sun in Elan. Ah. Um, so you know, I've enjoyed seeing all the images of people oh, like seeing snow for the first time, perhaps. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we're going to actually share with you a video that was uh, taken shortly after one of the first snowfalls this year. Have a look.
2: Taiwan's mountains are in the grip of a strong cold snap that has sent temperatures down to the freezing point. This unusual cold has brought with it something else unusual for Taiwan, snowfall. While a few, especially high mountains, get a dusting or two each year, some places that saw snowfall Friday have been snow-free for years. Ilan's Taiping Mountain, for instance, saw five centimeters of snowfall in places, the mountain's first snowfall in three years. Taiwanese tourists, used to traveling abroad to see snow, have flocked to mountains like this one. With COVID-19 making international travel impossible, this is their only chance to see snow for now. Over a thousand vehicles traveled up the mountain, carrying eager visitors. Authorities at the scenic area that covers the mountain are urging drivers to put chains on their tires and be careful when driving. These aren't motorists used to driving in true wintry conditions. Thank you for
0: joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media.
2: Yes, leave a
1: comment below. We would love to hear from you. And subscribe if you like our show. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So.
0: I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. This is Radio Taiwan International. today with Natalie So.
1: Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced this week that the. US. will be lifting self-imposed restrictions on U.S Taiwan ties. Now what does that mean? Well today we have with us an insider, the former director of the American Institute in Taiwan, the de facto U.S Embassy in Taiwan. Dr. William Stanton, he's currently the vice President of National Yang Ming University. Thank you, Ahm William, for coming.
4: Thank you so much.
1: So tell us, what do you think of this decision? How, how big a deal
4: is this? Well, I think it's a, a very big deal. Um, Any time a Secretary of State makes a policy announcement, particularly on a subject that is not often directly addressed by a Secretary of State, I think it's a very big deal. Uh, the fact that Secretary Pompeo particularly only... Nine or ten days before the end of the Trump administration would make this announcement. I think gives it added importance because I think it demonstrates that he really wanted to uh, to do this before the end of the administration. And the fact that it's actually something that has been sort of in a, up in the air. It's an initiative that really the Congress started back in 2019 in march when the house of representatives passed a resolution calling in the taiwan assurance act for steps to get rid of these self-imposed restrictions but then it just it just sat there in congress it didn't go to the senate and it wasn't until just a couple of months ago that the senate passed a uh, a bill which provided financing for that taiwan assurance act So, in fact, if you looked online, you would have seen that the prognosis, which you can find for all congressional legislation, was that it was not likely to go anywhere. So the fact that, you know, the Secretary of State actually took up this issue and addressed it, I thought was was, I was quite surprised and I thought it was very significant. Mm. But the big question now is, because it's the end of the Trump administration, what will happen next?
1: Well, can you tell me um, what you think this really entails, though? What are the implications practically?
4: One of the things we have to recognize is that a lot of the self-imposed restrictions have slowly disappeared over the years. My understanding is that they first, at least according to one scholar I've spoken to, they go back to about 1978 Uh, in the State Department, began to work on what it would mean if we broke relations with Taiwan established them with China, what would be the implications. They came up with various issues that would have to be addressed, including how do we talk about Taiwan, how do we talk about the Taiwan government, Uh, how do we talk about the relationship between the United States and Taiwan, what do we do about what was formerly diplomatic relationship, Um, what kind of a relationship would we, how would we describe it now in the future? So they came up with a whole list of things that you could or could not do. In fact, I found just last night, looking because I knew I'd be talking to you, a piece of paper, unclassified, with no date on it, but I'm pretty sure I was given before I came to Taiwan in 1986 for 10 months of language training. And it was basically, the, the title of it was Do's and Don'ts in Taiwan, or in, with regard to Taiwan. Ah, and You have that paper with you? Yeah, I do.
1: Can I see it? Yeah,
4: sure.
1: <laughs> so what are some of the things here? Do use Taiwan, don't use Republic of China. Interesting. Interesting. Do use economy, island, area, or jurisdiction. Don't use country.
4: Yeah, what they didn't take into account, if you ever try to talk about something and and you're talking about a country and you don't use the word country, how awkward in English it sounds and how silly at times. I once went to a meeting uh, with a high-level economic representative from the United States. And he was meeting with President Ma Ying-jeou. And repeatedly he referred to Taiwan as as an important economic entity. Oh my gosh. That, is so that sounds strange. St- it's, it's so strange. Strained. It's so strange. It's so bizarre in English. So many of the recommendations were like that and practically speaking were difficult to use.
1: Do you use Taiwan authorities, don't use Taiwan government? Yeah. Wow. Do you use Taiwan representatives? Don't use government officials? Right. Do you use Taiwan as an adjective? Don't use Taiwanese, except referring to descendants of pre-1949 inhabitants.
4: In fact, I was reprimanded once when, early on, I'm uh, in the State Department. I was writing something and I put, Taiwanese believe, I don't know what the thing was, but somebody at a higher level called me up and basically reprimanded me because he said that's an incorrect use of Taiwanese, that you can only use Taiwanese if you're referring to the, I guess, the pre-1949... Mm. The people who lived United. here
1: before the Chiang Kai-shek yeah. uh,
4: and his, his whole group. Well, I guess they could have added, I don't know, but I guess they excluded even the Yuan-Jumin, I <laughs> would right, believe, right, even longer. Indigenous. Mm-hmm. So things like that, also in English, so you were always writing the people of Taiwan, Or the Taiwan people, which is odd in English because you never put a noun before a noun.
1: Right. You should say the Taiwanese. Now they say Taiwanese.
4: Well, well, by the time I was AIT director, I always said the Taiwanese.
1: So this didn't, um, they changed by the time you were AIT
4: director? Well, it didn't change. I mean, it never, as far as I knew, went out of existence. But over time, people just weren't. Keeping up with those those rules. So,
1: were you able to call Taiwan a country when you were AIT director? I I always referred to Taiwan as
4: a country. You did. Yeah.
1: So so things even and nobody ever noticed.
4: I don't think. (laughs) I mean, I you know, yeah, I would say Taiwan you know is an important country. I would also refer to the Taiwanese government Mm. and. Maybe I was too insignificant because I never remember even the Chinese government complaining about my usage, um, much less people in Washington. But we were all given these instructions. Now, later, around 2011, somebody has advised me they had more updated instructions, which also dealt with terminology, but they they didn't provide me with any specifics about that other than you know, uh, refer to Taiwan as Taiwan, don't refer to it as the Republic of China. And oddly enough, there's something that Taiwanese would like because if you look at the the foreign affairs manual, in it, it it emphasizes you should never say Taiwan, China, and that on your passports you have to decide were you born in China or you were born in Taiwan. So I remember my daughter, after having come here, she Later, when I was uh, when I was working here as the AIT director, she had her passport reissued as being born in Taiwan because earlier somebody had put born in China. Oh, so you you have a choice. So. Gradually, over time, a lot of these uh, prohibitions, these injunctions, they just evaporated. Not all of them, however. So with
1: this decision, all of these are going to go out the window? Is that what's going to happen? Well, what, what in
4: theory, think? that's what's going to happen because these were all, all of these instructions, injunctions were executive decisions. They, were, they weren't made by legislature, so they weren't, they weren't legislated. They weren't a matter of law They were executive decisions. So in theory, the executive branch should be able to change anything it wants. The only key question here is how will the Biden administration Mm -hmm. handle it? But as I said, a lot of, over time, a lot of these instructions have sort of evaporated. Even one of the, it was not only on terminology, but it was also, as you see below, um, about the use of passports, the one thing that I don't think will change, because it is part of the foreign affairs manual, be more difficult, is you're not supposed to enter Taiwan on a diplomatic passport. Now, this is odd in a couple of ways. One is that I know there are other countries whose diplomats come to Taiwan and they use diplomatic passports, because who knows? Mm -hmm. The Chinese aren't going to know, and Taiwan is certainly not going to complain if they do that. But to this day, they say you shouldn't enter on a diplomatic passport. When later I came back to Taiwan in 2009, they didn't require that I give up my diplomatic passport. They just asked me not to use it. Mm. But they didn't take it from me, and I didn't have to any longer go through the charade or charade, I guess, (laughs) depending if you're British or not. (laughs) I'm not. You know, you you didn't have to sign that you were resigning from the Foreign Service.
1: So I'm curious, you know, uh, Pompeo said these are self-imposed restrictions. Are they really um, just made up by the government, um, the U.S. government, or were they Beijing giving the U.S. pressure to not do these things?
4: As near as I can tell, they were simply decided... On by lawyers in the State Department and in the National Security Council about if we broke relations with Taiwan, what would that mean in terms how we would talk about the relationship in terms of if we were going to Taiwan and we were an American official. Well, the onus was on us, I guess, at that time. But also, you have to remember that at that time, we had an entirely different view of our relationship with China. The people who invented, who established relations with China had great hopes for the China relationship. Mm. And at that time, everybody saw, I think, China as a more benign, a more benign country, a country which, like the other Asian tigers, would evolve in a more prosperous, capitalist, and also more democratic direction.
1: So do you think that this shows that the U.S. has given up on um, seeing China in that way and has decided to not care what they think?
4: I think that's a great extent of it. Certainly the Trump administration, certainly it's not clear. I don't think that's necessarily true of Trump. I don't think he cared that much about Taiwan. My own view is, but Pompeo clearly did. Um, He's remarked more than on several occasions, about how we need to respect Taiwan and treat it with the dignity it deserves because it's a fellow democracy that respects human rights and rule of law. So, you know, as I say, a lot of these changes or these self imposed restrictions were eroding or disappearing over time. Um, but I think with Secretary Pompeo, he made it even more definitive. For example, even when uh, I was director of AIT, I know that although there was an instruction, for example, when um, representatives of Tsai Ing-wen back in the first election, 2016, so it must have been late 2015, they visited Washington. They were not allowed to enter the National Security Council, that building. They met in a cafe across the street. But Later on, uh, we know that they were much more flexible. Uh, I know that there were assistant secretaries who would meet in their offices with so Taiwanese a lot of these, representatives.
1: These rules were broken, actually. They were
4: broken. Broken all the time. They were broken because people said it wasn't befitting the dignity of the Taiwanese to simply tell them to meet in a coffee shop. Also, some of our representatives were quite concerned about security. Sure. If you're in a coffee shop, everything you can say can be picked up by a microphone across the room. That's true. So, um, Well,
1: can I ask you, what do you think this poses for the Biden administration? Is this a challenge? Is this an opportunity? Um, will this force them to clarify their stance on Taiwan? It's what a do great you think?
4: question. In a way, I think it's both. I think it's a challenge because there may be some people who are uncomfortable with the fact that Pompeo did this in the last days of the Trump administration. But there are other people, I think, coming into the administration who may welcome it because it sort of cleans the slate. Mm. And they only have to keep those rules that they regard as essential.
1: That is William Stanton. He is the former director of the American Institute in Taiwan, which is the U.S. de facto embassy in Taiwan. He's also the current vice president of National Ming University. I'll continue my conversation with him about this landmark decision by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to get rid of longstanding rules for U.S.-Taiwan ties. Join me next week. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Natalie So.
0: RTI time machine, today's time traveler is
2: John Van Trieste and the
0: destination,
2: Taoyuan, 1938. There are a few places in Taiwan where layers of history come together in unexpected ways. Often, these are spots where buildings from one era are simply taken over and put to new uses in a later era. One of the most unusual examples of this historical recycling is in Taoyuan, in northern Taiwan. At the Taoyuan Martyr's Shrine, the two historical eras involved do more than just overlap. They clash. Today, we're looking at a site where two successive and deeply hostile governments enshrined what mattered most to them. The Taoyuan Martyr Shrine sits at the base of Hu Mountain. Today, the mountain is a forested peak crossed by steep hiking trails. But in decades past, it was a strategic place dotted with military installations and covered more in grass and shrubs. In 1938, when the shrine was completed, Taiwan had been under Japanese colonial rule for over 40 years. The shrine was a complex of simple but elegant wooden structures, in which several gods of Japan's Shinto Pantheon were to be worshipped. By this point, earlier pressure on Taiwanese people to assimilate into Japanese ways had accelerated and a policy called the One Street Village, One Shrine Policy saw many other shrines go up around Taiwan. Taiwan would come to have around 200 Shinto shrines. Under the state Shinto ideology of the time, these shrines were to be sites of indoctrination while also replacing in some senses the old social functions that local temples had long held. The shrine in Taoyuan was particularly elegant. All of the buildings were constructed with plain, unvarnished, but highly prized cypress wood of the highest quality. According to Taoyuan's local government, these Japanese-looking buildings also drew on a mix of influences from China's Tang Dynasty and from contemporary Taiwan. The shrine complex consisted of a path leading uphill through the gate that marks the entrance to Japanese shrines. The path led up steps past stone lanterns and lions, and past a bronze horse stamped on its chest with the imperial chrysanthemum seal. Finally, after passing through another gate, there was the hall for general worshippers, and beyond that, the inner sanctum, where only priests were allowed. Other facilities off this main path of pilgrimage included an office for shrine keepers and a pavilion with a stone trough of water, where worshippers going up to pray would stop and ritually cleanse their hands. The gods worshipped inside showed the concerns of the times. Alongside traditional deities, like a goddess of agriculture and three gods credited with creation, There was also a deified prince, who had died during Japan's 1895 takeover of Taiwan. By the time the shrine was dedicated, in September 1938, Japan was at war in China, and in the following years, it would also be at war in the Pacific. Worship at the shrine would have continued until 1945, when the war ended and Japan relinquished control over Taiwan. The new Republic of China government that now took control of Taiwan had just come fresh out of a long and bitter war with Japan and so it was not a fan of things Japanese. There was a move to eradicate symbols of the old colonial order and the Taoyuan Shrine was one of the early Japanese era sites to have its old associations stripped away. In 1950, it was rededicated as the Taoyuan Martyrs' Shrine. These shrine buildings were deemed too culturally important to get rid of. The quality of construction was high, the building materials fine, with handcrafted joints and echoes of China's Tang Dynasty antiquity. Like other martyrs' shrines set up in the post-war period, This shrine commemorates figures involved in the revolution that established the Republic of China. Alongside them are military figures, as well as police, firefighters, and civilians killed while performing their duties. This kind of repurposing took place in other colonial-era buildings, too. Some old martial arts halls, for instance, were turned into police stations, or facilities for the military police. But the surviving colonial buildings were in danger well after the war. After the Pacific War, the Republic of China government had retreated to Taiwan as communist Chinese forces took over the mainland. While ruling only Taiwan and a few other islands, the government continued to claim to be the legitimate government of China. Over time though, a growing number of countries were rejecting this, cutting their ties with Taiwan and establishing ties with the mainland. After Japan did this in 1972, there came a directive to purge colonial buildings. The few shrines that survived after this were simply left to decay away. Though it had been turned into a symbol of the new order, even the Taoyuan Martyr Shrine wasn't safe. In 1985, it had its own near-miss, when Taoyuan's local government made plans to demolish the complex. It was a strong response from the public and from academics that helped to save it. Amid backlash, a renovation project was planned instead, and launched the following year. After all of this the Taoyuan Martyrs' Shrine is one of the only intact Shinto shrines left in Taiwan today. Its later listing as a third-class national monument ensures that it will continue to stand. As before, the shrine still honors revolutionary figures and those killed in the line of duty. But while no less solemn than other martyr shrines around Taiwan, there is less of a heavy atmosphere here than at, say, the Martyrs' Shrine in Taipei, Here at the Taoyuan Shrine, for instance, there's no military pomp or regular changing of the guard ceremony. Instead, what was once the inner sanctum and worship hall have been left to witness past heroes silently. The lower parts of the shrine, meanwhile, are an example of a historic space put to a new use. Since 2017, the area at the bottom of the hill has been turned into a cultural park a place planted with flowering trees and towering palms. This has become a place where families come on outings, photographers set up tripods, and hikers stop on their way up Hutou Mountain. The local government has begun hosting a series of seasonal events here, marking the blooming of the cherry trees, the arrival of midsummer, the ripening of the fall rice harvest, and the winter lantern festival. Still though, in the background, there are memories of the two periods of history that have shaped this place, from the worn chrysanthemum emblem on the bronze horse's chest to a wooden plaque in the worship hall commemorating the republican martyrs that have replaced the old gods. Here, the symbols of religion and Taiwan's post-war years coexist in an odd harmony, jumbled together in a unique way that continues to attract visitors in our own time. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International.
0: Now he spoke with the former director of the American Institute in Taiwan, or AIT, William
4: Stanton.
1: Tell us, what do you think of this decision? How how big a deal is this?
4: Well, I think it's a, a very big deal. Um, Any time a Secretary of State makes policy announcement, particularly on a subject that is not often directly uh, addressed by a Secretary of State. I think it's a very big deal. Uh, The fact that Secretary Pompeo, particularly only nine or ten days before the end of the Trump administration, would make this announcement, I think gives it added importance, because I think it demonstrates that he really wanted to... uh, to do this before the end of the administration, I was quite surprised and I thought it was very significant. Mm. But the big question now is, because it's the end of the Trump administration, what will happen next? Well, can
1: you tell me um, what you think this really entails, though? What are the implications practically?
4: Yeah, it, well, that's one of the things we have to recognize is that a lot of the self-imposed restrictions um, have slowly disappeared over the years. Uh, My understanding is that they first, at least according to one uh, scholar I've spoken to, they go back to about 1978 um, when somebody began to work on what it would mean, uh, and the State Department began to work on what it would mean if we broke relations um, with Taiwan, established them with China. In fact, um, I found just last night, looking because I knew I'd be talking to you, a piece of paper, unclassified, um, with no date on it, but I'm pretty sure I was given before I came to Taiwan in 1986 for 10 months of language training. And it was basically, the the title of it was Do's and Don'ts in Taiwan, or with regard to Taiwan. Ah. And you have that paper with you? Yeah, I do. Can I see it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um.
1: So, what are some of the things here? Do use Taiwan. Don't use Republic of China. Interesting. Do use the economy island area or jurisdiction. Don't use country.
4: You know, what they didn't take into account, if you ever tried to talk about something and, and you're talking about a country and you don't use the word country, how awkward in English it sounds and how silly at times.
3: Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.